0: The following sermon was preached at Redeeming Grace Fellowship. For more information about RGF, please visit our website at www.rgf.church. Please feel free to make copies of this sermon or distribute to friends and family. But please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way. chapter ten, and we're going to start in verse one it was uh It was just about um just about maybe three four months ago when pastor caleb caleb caleb's back uh wasn't doing so well, and I filled in for him and at that point i didn't know uh many of uh the members of the church um, but now I feel like I'm at a better place so um preaching to to family so Um, I'm excited and I'm I'm just passing on uh, what what I've received. And so may God be praised. Um, Let's pray. Let's pray and ask for his help. Father, we praise you, the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to your great mercy, you have caused us to be born again into a living hope, a hope that is undefiled, imperishable, and unfading. Father, as uh, your word as we now come to the hearing of your word, would you uh, bring glory to yourself and uh, would your people's hearts be opened wide and would you speak through your servant as Jesus goes forth today Uh, and may it not just stay at the knowledge level but may it digest to our hearts that uh, as as the psalmist says, you have given us a new song to sing And may that be the the disposition of our hearts. Father, pour out your Spirit in abundance. Father, I cannot stand up here alone. Would you pour out your Spirit to us, your people, in abundance this morning? You gave your Son. We do not uh, doubt that you will give anything or um, any much else. And so we look to your good hand and uh, trust that you'll meet us today. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so... I had, a, I had an intro, but it was too long, so I cut it out. And I know Redeeming Grace Fellowship is a hungry uh, church for God's word, and so I'm going to cut out the appetizers and get straight to the meat and the potatoes. Amen? Amen. <laughs> Amen. Um, and like I said before, I was, I was well-fed while preparing, and so I'm just going to pass it on. Um, as, a, as a quick context to the story, as I mentioned earlier, uh, at the beginning of the service, uh, this is a pivotal moment in history because it is the very story that opens up the door for Gentiles. I'm, not, I'm sure many of us are not Jewish Israelites, so many of us, uh, the door's open for many of us to enter into God's family. And so, and so let's uh, get started. Here's the roadmap <clears throat> for us this morning. I have four scenes of our story, four scenes, and two major observations at the end. So four scenes, two major observations. Scene one, the Lord and Cornelius. (coughs) The Lord and Cornelius, verses one through eight. I'm going to read it. This is God's word. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort a devout man who feared God with all his household, gave alms generously to the people and prayed continually to God. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God come in and say to him, Cornelius. And he stared at him in terror and said, What is it, Lord? And he said to him, Your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. And now send men to Joppa and bring... Simon, who is called Peter. He is lodging with one Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him left, he called two of his servants and a devout soldier from among those who attended him. And having told them everything, he sent them to Joppa. So here we're given an introduction to Cornelius, an Italian military leader. And this is how he is described. He is a deeply committed, and devout man, a very religious. He and his household feared God. He gave generously to the poor, as, as the proverb said. God honors, he honors God. And he always prayed. He always prayed. And then what happens right after that introduction, uh, Cornelius then has a vision where the Lord shows up. It takes, about, it takes place about three o'clock in the afternoon, and the Lord tells him that he has seen his prayers, and his generous giving. And then this is interesting. Right after that, he doesn't say anything more. I've seen your prayers. I've seen your giving. Now get Peter. Now get Peter. And then he sends his two men, and he gets them. And what I love about this part is that without questioning Cornelius, he hears from the Lord, he gets his two servants, he gets his soldier, and he just sends them. He does exactly what he is told. No ifs, no ands, and no buts. Simple, childlike obedience. That's scene one. We see who Cornelius is. We see that the Lord appears to him. He has seen his giving. He has seen his praying. And then he tells him to go get Peter. And then Cornelius does just that. So scene one, pretty simple. The Lord and Cornelius. Scene two the Lord and Peter. The Lord and Peter. Verses 9 through 16. I'm going to read it for us. The next day as they were on their journey, right, the Cornelius' men, and approaching the city, Peter went up on the housetop at about noon to pray. And he got hungry and wanted something to eat, but while the people were preparing it, he fell into a trance and saw the heavens opened and something like a great sheet Ascending, being let down by its four corners on the earth. In it were all kinds of animals, and reptiles and birds of the air. And there came a voice to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, No way, Lord, I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice came to him a second time. What God has called what God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times. And then the thing, the blanket, or the sheet, was taken up at once to heaven. Okay, so to summarize this scene, it's the next day after the Lord meets Cornelius. It's the second day. And as the two servants and the soldier are on their way to meet Peter, the camera now shifts to Peter. It starts with Peter praying on the rooftop to God at about noon. And then he gets hungry, and then they're preparing it, and then he falls into what they call a trance. So if you're like me, and your vocabulary isn't that good, you look that up, and you find out what that means. And so what I got was days, half-conscious state, or a hypnotic state. Those are some synonyms I found. So regardless of the meaning, Peter is in a different zone. right? He's in a different arena of reality at this point when the Lord appears to him. And so in this vision... A, A blanket falls on the earth, and it has all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds. And I think even ones where the Old Testament law prohibits people from eating. Even the ones where Jews are prohibited from eating in the Old Testament law. The voice tells Peter, a Jewish man, rise, Peter, kill and eat. The Jewish Simon Peter replies, Lord, not a chance. I've never eaten anything unclean. I'm, I'm a good Jewish man. I can't do that. God replies, seeking to peel off of a, a layer off of Peter that has never been peeled before. What God has made clean, do not call common. Do not call, do not call polluted. Do not call dirty. And in verse 17, Peter, I just imagine he is so confused. He is so confused. And he says, um, as to what just happened, and and I could picture Peter, what was that? I can't eat unclean birds, animals, and reptiles. That's forbidden in God's law. That's, That's all I've known. I can't eat that. Nothing polluted has ever entered my mouth. Yet in utter humility and teachability, I could picture Peter saying, but God was saying something different He he said that he has made them clean. I have to keep thinking about this. I can't dismiss this. I have to keep wrestling with it. And so as a side point for for, for what happens there, uh, brothers and sisters, let's pause and acknowledge that God is a good teacher to his people, but also that God loves those who are humble and teachable. He loves those that are humble and teachable. It's so easy to limit God to the way we've done things or seen things or have gone about things in life and leave no room for God's word to reorient and to remold and to unpeel us in every sphere. And I love how this happened to Peter when he first met Jesus. This is probably my favorite story in the gospel. When he first met Jesus, uh, Jesus is preaching and then he tells Peter, okay, I'm done preaching. Go out to the sea and cast down your nets for a catch. And if you guys remember what happened in the story, he said, Lord, we've been fishing all night and we caught nothing. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. And then as the story goes, he catches too many fish for him to even bring into the boat. And so you see, uh, even Peter there, there's, a, there's a, a, an un- appealing factor where he says, Lord, I've been fishing all night. It doesn't make sense. But he leaves room for God to teach him. Because you say so. I will let down the nets. May we, like Peter, leave room for God, as we'll see later, he learns his lesson. Saying with Peter, but because you say so, God. And so as Peter is confused and wrestling and inwardly perplexed about the vision, we are quickly led to our third scene, Cornelius' men and Peter. It's the Lord and Cornelius, the Lord and Peter. Now Cornelius' men finally meet Peter. We good so far? All right, amen. Verse 17 to 23, I'll read it for us. Now while Peter was inwardly perplexed, confused, befuddled as to what the vision that he had seen might mean, the men who were sent by Cornelius, having made inquiry for Simon's house, stood at the gate and called to ask whether Simon, was called Peter, was lodging there. And while Peter was pondering the vision, still thinking about the vision, the Spirit said to him, look, three men are looking for you. Rise and go and accompany them without hesitation, with no objection, for I have sent them. And Peter went down to the the men and said, look, I'm I'm the guy. Why why did you come? And they said, Cornelius, a centurion, an upright and God-fearing man, he's well spoken of by the Jewish people. He was directed by a holy angel to send for you to come to his house and to hear what you have to say. And so he invited, he, Peter, invited them in to be his guests. So to summarize that scene, Cornelius' his men and Peter, his men arrive at the house a day after they were sent by him from Caesarea and they inquire about him. I had, I had a picture, but... Um, I deleted it by accident last night, so I just gave up on it. Um, but they say this was about a 30-mile journey from Jopa and Caesarea. It's about 30 miles, and it's right by the water. And so this is a long trip. It, I think it takes about a full day. And so these, these men come, and they're standing at Tanner Simon's large house. Right, The tanning business was very lucrative. So uh, many people say that Simon, Simon, uh, Tanner Simon's house was a large one, and so the men are standing at his gate, and they're saying, does Peter live here? All the while, Peter is still thinking about the vision, and then the, Spirit, uh, the Holy Spirit tells him, look, there are three men downstairs. I sent them, so just go with them, and don't ask any questions. And so Peter goes down, he meets the men, he asks them why they came, they tell him why they came, and he's like, all right. And he invited them in, and my assumption is they stayed the night at Tanner Simon's large house, pretty large house. And so Cornelius' three men, Peter, and as we'll see in Acts 11, when Peter tells this story to the Jewish council, he had six brothers with him. Right? So he had six brothers, Peter, and his three men. It's 10 people in one house. And they get up the next day to go back to Caesarea, where Joppa is. And so as a side note there, once again with Peter, no ifs, no ands, no buts. All right, simple, childlike obedience. God simply gives him the command and he goes. No over-analysis, no time constraints, no this, no that. Just simple obedience to God's command. May God be the one to propel simple obedience in us to love and good works. The Christian life really isn't that complicated. Whether it's to obey parents or to clean a, room, a bathroom or to cook a meal or to disciple a brother or sister or to share the gospel, preach the gospel to the lost. Cornelius and Peter both did not ask a single question that prevented them from going and obeying. May God bless our obedience and faith. And, you know, really to elaborate on, on that, right, obedience really is an opportunity. To walk more intimately with Jesus, I was thinking about this this week, and you know when we when we cook that meal or when we uh, embarrass ourselves and share the gospel with that coworker or with that person on the street or that homeless person, right? A part of us is dying, and the life of our Lord, from the from the manger in the inn all the way to the cross, was a life of self-denial, was a life of self-death, and we see it at the crux at the cross. And so in a sense, we get to walk with him. Lord, you walk the path of self-denial before me. I will humbly follow. Right, so obedience really is an opportunity to walk with Jesus. And it shouldn't be a burden, although so many times it is. With that, we are taking to our fourth and final scene in our text. The Lord and Cornelius, the Lord and Peter. Cornelius' men and Peter and now Cornelius and Peter finally meet. This is the the whole plan all along. I'm gonna read from verse 24 to 33. The next day he rose and went away with them and some of the brothers from Joppa accompanied him. That's the six brothers. And on the following day they entered into Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. When Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshiped him. But Peter lifted him up, saying, Stand up, I am a man too. And as he talked with Cornelius, Peter went in and found many people gathered. And he said to them, You know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit a man of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common, dirty, polluted, or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without objection. I asked then why you sent for me. And Cornelius said, four days ago, about this hour, I was praying in my house. At about three o'clock, and the man stood before me in bright clothing, and he said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard, and your alms have been remembered before God. Send therefore to Joppa and ask for Simon, who is called Peter. He is lodging in the house of Simon, a tanner, right? Rich Simon the tanner, by the sea. And so I I sent for you at once, and you've been kind enough to, to come. Now, therefore, we are all here in the presence of God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. And so to summarize that scene, as the ten men are journeying together for about a full day, They finally arrive at Caesarea, where Cornelius is. Cornelius was eagerly waiting for them to arrive. All of his close friends, his what some of us call his boys, right? some of us youth students, I've been with the youth, so it's rubbing off, his homies, his peeps, his squad, as we used it in high school, and his entire family, they're waiting there. And he walks in, and it's a lot of people. It's a lot of people. And so I was thinking, hold on, they don't have cell phones here. So how long were they waiting? It's not like you know, uh, Cornelius' soldier was like, yo, I'm five minutes away. It's not that. Right? This is 2,000 years ago. Right? So no cell phone, no, no pagers. Um, and so I was thinking about that. And who knows how long Cornelius and his relatives and his friends were waiting. Who knows how long? It could have been minutes. It could have been hours. But for them, it did not matter. What mattered was Peter who was coming to deliver God's message. And so they'll count the cost and they'll pay the price because they will hear the word of the Lord. And as a a side point on that, brothers and sisters, how much God loves it when people are hungry and eager for him and his word. The first Gentile believer in Jesus is this hungry man of God. Psalm 42, I I love it in in the song, As the Deer, uh, as the deer pants for the water, so my soul longeth after you. You alone are my heart's desire, and I long to worship you. Cornelius' friends and his relatives were probably waiting hours for these men to arrive for Peter. But they can wait because what they are waiting for is worth the wait. Amen. May we be challenged. Where is our hunger for the word? Where is our desire to encounter Jesus? Where are our affections to know God better and to go deeper in relationship with him? Where is our yearning to fall in love with Jesus like we did for the very first time? And Cornelius, and to take it a step further, Cornelius is so eager to see Peter. When he finally meets him, what does he do? He worships him. All right, some of us, you know, really conservative, will be like, "Oh, that's heresy," you know. Um, but I think, I think God is a gracious heavenly Father. Although that's not the—I you know, don't want you worshiping Pastor Caleb after this service. But I think God, as a kind, gracious Father, was smiling at Cornelius in this moment. Right, very immature believer, but he's just so hungry, and the guy who would deliver God's word finally comes, and he just—he just can't contain his excitement and he falls at his feet, and he worships him. Matthew 5, verse 6, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Oh, brothers and sisters, may we stay hungry for God, for his presence, for the encounter of the person of Jesus and his word. As Cornelius is probably kissing Peter's feet, Peter, as the godly man he is, he raises him up and he says, I'm a sinner as well. I'm not the one you worship. And so Peter walks in and he finds all these people gathered in Cornelius' probably large house, right? He's a military leader. He's not living in a one-bedroom apartment, I think. He finds many people there, many people hungry for God. And the first thing that comes out of Peter's mouth is you guys know how illegal, how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate or to visit a man of another nation, Israel and Italy, right? Different nations. But God, he learned his lesson. But God has taught me that I should not call any person polluted or dirty. With God as Peter's good teacher and Peter being humbly teachable and uh, accessible, and meditating, right? He was thinking about that a lot, right? He wasn't just letting it go. Peter finally learned his lesson. I'm not allowed to associate or to visit a non-Israelite, a non-Jew, but God has shown me that I should not call anyone polluted or dirty, right? It's always, I feel like the theme of the Christian life is but God, but God. He learned well from his master Jesus when he went to the woman at the well in Samaria, Right. Jews don't associate with Samaritans. That's what John says. But he learned well from his master as he broke those social barriers and he, he himself took the journey to Samaria and he met the woman at the well and, to, and he gave her himself. And I'm encouraged by Redeeming Grace Fellowship as well, just looking out and different skin colors, different backgrounds, different social classes, maybe different economic statuses, but all one in Christ. All right, I love what it says in Colossians 3, Christ is all and in all. Slaver free. And so after sharing this, after Peter says, "You know, I'm not allowed to be here, but, but God. Peter goes on to ask why Cornelius had asked him to come. And so the camera shifts to Cornelius and he tells him exactly what happened. I'm just going to read from the verses. Four days ago, about this hour, I was praying at three o'clock and a man appeared to me And he said, look, Cornelius, I've heard your prayers, I've seen your giving, they've been remembered before me. Send to Joppa and ask for Simon, who is called Peter, he is lodging in the house of Simon, a tanner. And so I I, I just sent men to you right away, and you've been kind enough to, to come. Now we're all here in God's presence to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. Guys, Cornelius is such an admirable man, isn't he? All right, he is the first Gentile convert that God chooses to use in this point of history. We know he fears God, we know he's devout, and we know he gives generously and he prays all the time. Like that guy who's always like, yo, let's, let's just pray. All right, let's just pray about that. But we also know that he is obedient, right? simple childlike obedience at your word, Lord. And we also have just learned that he is hungry for God, evidenced by his waiting, his, his invitation to all of his families and friends. Like, guys, like, this guy is coming and he's gonna preach God's word. Come, come to my house. And his eager longing for Peter's arrival, and even through his worship of Peter. But I'm encouraged again, just it's a very small thing, but even by his character, if you look at verse 33, all right, Cornelius tells Peter in such kind fashion, You've been kind enough to come. I send for you and you've been kind enough to come. But more than Peter, Cornelius wants God. Look at the end of verse 33. Now we're all here in God's presence to hear that all that you have been commanded by the Lord. I want to hear what the Lord has to say. I want to hear what God has to say. We're in God's presence. So that's scene four. Scene one, the Lord and Cornelius. Scene two, the Lord and Peter. Scene three, Cornel- Cornelius' men and Peter. Scene four, Cornelius and Peter himself. And so with that, I'm going to close with two observations. All right, I think what we just talked about is a good segue. The first observation from this text is prayer. Prayer. If you ask your youth students, I will not go a single night without telling them that we need to pray. We need to pray. Brothers and sisters, we need to pray. The Apostle Paul tells us to pray without ceasing, and to pray always in the Holy Spirit, and to stay constant in prayer. Doesn't mean pray sometimes, doesn't mean pray frequently, means pray all the time. But I want us to see it in our text. All right, look at all the mentions of prayer in the lives of these two godly men in our passage. They certainly mature uh, differ in maturity but they certainly don't differ much in prayer. They spend sacrificial and intentional time praying to God, knowing that they are poor and spiritually bankrupt without his hand and help in all things. Verse two, look at how Cornelius is described. He is a devout man. He fears God. He gives generously and he prays continually to God. Look at God. Look how God remembers that in verse four he said to him, your prayers and your alms have ascended as a, as a remembrance before God. Moving on to Peter in verse nine, while the men are coming, Peter went up to the housetop to, to watch Netflix, to chill out, to pray, to pray. That's the, tr- that's the trend of the godly believer, right? The normal, trendy, necessary activity in the life of a godly believer like Peter. And this is when God shows him the vision, when he's praying. Right? But there's even more. So while Peter's praying, God shows him the vision. And Cornelius even says, right, we only know Cornelius as a man who prays continually to God. But in verse 30, Cornelius said, four days ago, at about this hour, I was praying. And then the man appeared. So Cornelius isn't just praying continually. That's not just how he's described. When God shows him the vision, he's praying. And so Peter's praying while he gets the vision, and so is Cornelius, and I don't think that's an accident. God will bless the praying man, brothers and sisters. I don't find it to be a coincidence that God shows himself to people who are both devoted to prayer and in this specific story while they're praying. Right? Sacrificial, intentional time spent fighting our battles in prayer. Oh, beloved, what room we leave for God to show us his glory if we'll meet him at his throne and revel in his presence. We see this example best in none other but our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Before and after so many days of restless ministry, of preaching and teaching and loving and healing people, we would always find him praying to the Father. Mark 1, and rising very early in the morning, this is after a full night of healing demons and driving them out, while it was still dark, he rose up and he departed and went out to a desolate place. And there, guess what he was doing? He sure was. There he prayed. After a full night of ministry, early in the morning. After he healed a leper and was getting famous, that many more sick people were coming to him. Luke chapter 5, but now even more, the report about him went further out and great crowds gathered to hear him, uh, hear him and to be healed of their sicknesses, verse 16, but he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. Guys, brothers and sisters, if Jesus prayed, I know I need to pray. We sure need to pray. He's the son of God, he's sinless, but he's praying intimately to the father. And even in that, as a side note, Jesus is not even concerned with how much he's doing all right, there's more people he needs to heal, but he's concerned about the character with which he does what he does. And the character of it is only cultivated in prayer. And that's summarized in this very famous saying quality, not quantity. But we know that the crux of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ was not his prayer life, it was the cross on which he was to die for sinners like you and me, Gentile sinners which takes us smoothly to our second observation, salvation. First observation is prayer. Second observation is salvation. Brothers and sisters, our passage makes it clear that God, the means that God uses to save his people is through the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's why Paul said in, in uh, First or Second Corinthians, I will preach nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. He says, woe to me if I don't preach the gospel. Right, I want us to see it in our passage. When the Lord appears to Cornelius, I mentioned this before, the Lord tells him two things in our first scene. Your prayer has been remembered, now get Peter. That's all, that's all he's told. And Peter comes and as Pastor Caleb, I believe will preach next week, he preaches about Jesus Christ, he preaches about him crucified, and he preaches about the free offer of forgiveness of sins for those who believe in his name. Acts 10.30, I'm just going to read it. God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. Here it is, Peter's core message. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree, verse 40. But God raised him on the third day. And you want to hear what the Lord commanded me to say? This is it. And he commanded us to preach to people that, and to testify that he is the one appointed by God as judge of both the living and the dead. Verse 43, to him, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives the forgiveness of sins through his name. That's all he preached, right? So I want us to see God tells Cornelius, I remember what you said, go get Peter. Peter comes, Jesus Christ died, he rose, your sins can be forgiven through faith in his name. That's all he preaches. Brothers and sisters, it is not a complicated gospel to preach. I feel like sometimes the theology can, can uh, mix in with just a simple gospel proclamation when it's as simple as the fact that Jesus died, he rose, and if you'll trust in him, your sins against a holy and righteous judge can be forgiven. I love what Pastor Charlie Moore said one time, the gospel indeed is so deep that an elephant could drown in it, but so shallow that the child could dance in the puddle. Right? The gospel that states that he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities, and the punishment that we now enjoy was laid on him. The, the, the gospel that states that it was he who bore our griefs and he who carried our sorrows. The gospel that states that he who knew no sin became the very thing of sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. The gospel that states that he, he bore our sins in his body that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. The gospel that states that he redeemed us from the curse of the law. The law says, do, 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 but we're sinners. And so we reply, we can't, we can't, we can't. And he redeemed us from that curse by becoming a curse for us. As, as it is written, cursed is anyone who is hung on a tree. This is the gospel that God would have Cornelius to hear and the gospel that Peter would have to preach. And so to bring that point around, the gospel is the means that God uses to save his people. Romans 1, the gospel is the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes. And beloved, our entire passage happened so that the gospel could be delivered to the Gentiles. It was guarded by the lives and the blood of faithful men so that we too today can hear it and receive it by faith. But as many of you know, The devil will accuse us and our flesh will be tempted to fall for his lies that we're not good enough for God. Maybe there's some of us here this morning, I'm not good enough for God. I can't be here. But that's where we say back to the devil, when was it ever about us? It was all about Jesus Christ and that he died for me. But more than that, we have a better plea. God says to the devil on our behalf, as he said to Peter earlier, What God has made clean, do not call common. He will call you dirty, but God has made you clean. He will call you dirty, but God has made you clean. And his voice speaks louder. He is God of the devil. And so to conclude, we know that the gospel is God's power to save sinners, but we must never forget that the gospel is not just a one-time, I believe it, and that's it. The gospel is just as much for us who are believers. Amen? Amen. 1 Corinthians 15, I love what Paul does here. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached, which you received, which you believed at one point, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to this word I preached. There's a standing on this gospel that takes place. There's a holding fast to this gospel that takes place. It is the message upon which we build our lives and always return to. And so, beloved, uh, may the gospel never run dry. It is a well you cannot exhaust. Drink from its well every day and keep your heart fresh and worshipful in the Lord. Wake up and praise the Lord, saying, Lord, thank you that I'm saved by grace and not by my works. And so bringing back the applications from before, I, I... the point is not for us to run home and be, try to be more spiritually hungry or to be more teachable or to be more obedient. That's not the point, right? The point is the gospel. And in light of Jesus, a man who in the Middle East, 2,000 years ago, who took your place on a heavy cross, in light of him, may he who lives inside of us drive obedience, drive humility, drive teachability, drive spiritual hunger. If you'll fall in love with Jesus at the cross and his person, the rest will follow. I'll tell you that. It's not about just pull yourself up by your bootstraps and go home and feel guilty that you're not hungry or obedient or teachable enough. It's we gaze upon the Savior and he who lives inside of me will bring it forth. And that's all we say after that happens. All we say back in in confession and praise from our hearts to our lips is yet not I, but through Christ in me, which which started with Paul's confession in Galatians 2. I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. It just takes all eyes off of ourselves. He lives inside of me. And the life I now live, I live by faith. I lean on him. I rest on him. I live by faith in the Son of God. Right? He's living life in the Son of God. Who? How's he characterized? Who what? Who loved me and gave himself for me. All right. Paul just has that continuous gospel meditation going on in his mind. I, the life I now live, I live by faith in him who loved me and gave himself for me. May that ever be our confession, brothers and sisters. Let's pray. Father, I pray that your people heard a better word than the one that was preached. We know that's only possible by the power of your spirit. Oh God, we open our hearts wide for you to pour out from heaven your spirit in abundance, that we go home a little bit more changed than the way we came in. And that we wouldn't settle in our Christian lives but that we want Jesus, we want obedience, we want spiritual hunger. But we want Jesus Christ himself. May we never leave the foot of the cross as his blood drips on our heads because we've been forgiven. Oh God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that we have a good savior to preach and to listen to. Oh God, Lead us all the way home. In Jesus' name, amen.